Hey, it's Yona Budd. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best. So I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, we dive into what differs between loneliness and solitude and why one is much healthier than the other. We also speak about the bravery of a young woman showed after she was forced to evacuate her town in the Northwest Territories, all at the same time, while days away from giving birth. And as the hustle culture burned you out yet? Well, we look into a new movement that could ultimately replace it. That's And why teachers in the GTA in Toronto are worried about their safety and maybe across Canada as well. And finally, how money laundering is affecting the real estate market in Ontario and soon across BC and other parts of Canada. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. Well, what I'm talking about is when I was a kid, you got a job because you had the ability to hustle. You know, when I was a kid, you got paper routes and those kinds of jobs because you had some hustle in you. You showed some initiative. You know, you're, you know, jumping here, jumping there. You know, when I was a young guy, I had a couple of different jobs on the go at the time because I just wanted some independence and buy the stuff I wanted to buy. I was big into boxing in those days for a long time. So I wanted to buy boxing equipment, very expensive, get good stuff from Mexico. But, you know, you had to hustle. And I always grew up. Everywhere I went, you could tell, you know, you got a good job if you were got into the an interview and you showed some sign of hustle. You know, you'd hear people say, wow, you know, he's quite the hustler. I think he'll do very well over here. Well, here we are. It's now 2023. People are looking at this whole hustle thing thinking, I don't know, maybe it's not for me. So we need a break from the hustle culture, from that whole constant hustle thing, right? Well, as a coach, take my therapy hat off. So sometimes I'm torn between myself and myself, Leo. Like I just, you know, I'm torn between being a coach and being a therapist. But as a coach, I say to myself, well, hustle can be a very good thing. You know, certainly the the, the young athletes that I that I coach and um, provide performance coaching for, and some of the 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 uh, performance people, actors, actresses uh, that are that are in that space, and and, co- and and executives and sales folks and and people working hard to 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 do well in their in their industry. And you know, I always talk about you know you got to hustle a little bit. You know, if you're getting a little, especially people who are making a bunch of money and feel like they're a little stale in their gig. You got to teach them how to hustle, go back out, knock on doors, you know, that hustle mentality. I did it for a while. I knocked on doors and sold all kinds of stuff to people. Some they delivered, some maybe they didn't. I don't know. Talked about that a long time ago in another show. But are we really living our best lives with this kind of a hustle mentality? Is it really healthy for us to have this kind of mindset? Well, a lot of experts don't think so. So they, they're suggesting that we're hearing about the trends like quiet quitting and lazy girl job trend and where employees do just enough to get by. The newest trend, loud quitting, is when people are actively uh, you know, disengaged and loudly leaving their employment. It's a nasty public social media post or announcing your departure over a loudspeaker at work or some, you know, something that someone did apparently at a Walmart store somewhere, made a big deal about it. But being hustling, it's, it's all been about hustling for a dollar. And I guess people are suggesting that the hustle is overrated. 
and not seen so much of a badge of honor as they used to in the old days. You know, I, I, I do some coaching in a particular environment of a whole bunch of uh, relatively young people, 30s, 40s and so on. Um, and, you know, they they talk about who stays around after work, after work. Well, five o'clock. So from five to six, six thirty, you'll see some of the hustlers still at their desk and they'll talk about getting out and hustling for your work. And you know what? I'm all beside that. I'm all be, I'm behind all of that. Like I, as, as a coach, I said, yeah, let's go find your hustle, but not in the same way that we're talking about as it relates to this discussion right here, my friends. So are you sick and tired of hustling? You feel like you've hustled and hustled and hustled. And at the end of the day, maybe you've got a bit of a bank account. Maybe you got a house that's almost paid for if you've been at it long enough or, or whatever things you were looking to achieve throughout your life to say that, hey, I made it, whatever made it means. And now looking back and going, you know, I put in all that time. I hustled like a like a like an animal, ran here, ran there. And you know what? Don't have so much to show for it. And I'm kind of tired. I'm in my, you know, late whatever, 60s, 70s, 80s, excuse me, realizing you haven't done a lot of things and been a lot of places. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the difference between hustling while you're at work and living the hustle culture. And the hustle culture includes, by the way, if going to work for you is taking your kids to school and off to daycare and picking up this and picking up that and showing up for this and showing up for that. By the way, homemaking, most difficult job on the planet. Doesn't matter what you think you do for a living and how hard it is to get under the trucks that you work on or the factories that you work in or the offices or the law, law firm or accounting firm or whatever, selling real estate, whatever job you have, I'm telling you, compared to being a homemaker, it's a walk in the park. So just getting yourself organized as a human being to manage the stuff that you need to do for whatever your responsibilities are that day, work-related, home-related, kid-related, son-related, you know, spouse-related, uh, whatever. We're always see, we always seem to be lately anyway, for a long time, hustling from this place and hustling and running. And, you know, so there's a combination of hustling to make ends meet to go out and sort of, you know, kill your meal and bring it home to eat versus hustling, like not getting off the, uh, the, 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 the rat, get out of the rat race, get off the hamster wheel, you know, whatever the analogy is that works for you. So because, you know, we're going to eventually end up with a whole bunch of people that are stressed and unhappy because if they're, if they're, whole thing, like the people are trying to get you back from remote work now. And, you know, people are, are looking, you know, companies are looking for different matrices in order to measure people's success and, and so on. So as a coach, I'm suggesting that you still need to hustle while you're working, whatever hustle means in your job function, whether that means getting stuff done, whether it means getting to the head of the line, whether it means getting through the doors you need to get to to be successful. That's the hustle I'm talking about. But bingo, bango, when the light goes off and the bell rings, Time to go home, man. Time to turn it off. And to work out your whole routine in the morning with getting kids here and getting kids there, if that's what you're you have going on in your life or getting, you know, from place to place. I see people sometimes as I'm driving in early enough in the morning, I see moms out there, you know, two, three kids in their hands on a on a on a public transit, you know, facility product and and a bus, subway, streetcar, whatever we've got going on here in Toronto and in, in, in Ontario you know, slugging, schlepping these kids off to probably a couple of different locations long before, I'm sure, mom gets off to work. That's a hustle, especially in December and January in Ontario when it's miserable and raining and snowing and freezing. We can take the hustle away if we plan a little bit better. 
I want to hear what you think. Call me at about a uh, quarter to the hour, 15 minutes to the hour. I want to hear what you think about this whole hustle thing, whether you think it paid off for you, didn't pay off for you, worked out for you, didn't work out for you, still stuck in it maybe. You know, a lot of us are still stuck in it. Uh, there's days I feel like I just really don't want to go do anything, but kind of have to. I don't feel like I'm hustling anywhere near what I used to. You know, people say to me, you know, there's so many coaching opportunities out there. You just got to call them and reach out to this guy, this guy, and this guy. And it's like, eh, I don't think so. I'm not hustling so much anymore. It's not really my thing, right? I'm kind of trying to be more and more quiet in, in how I approach things. And frankly, I'm at the stage, I hope, where people will come to me if they think I can provide some value, right? Anyway, that's how that works for me. Thank you for letting me ramble on. But I do want to hear what you think because I think getting out of this hustle mentality it's probably a healthy thing. And again, not separate. I'm separating it between the hustle that you have to provide at work for sure, right? And, you know, the, 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 the separating that hustle from how you live your life when you walk out the door. Talking really about loneliness versus solitude. Big difference, right? So loneliness might be harmful, but solitude might be beneficial. That's kind of the way we're going into this thing. And actually, in, in a virtually constant, you know, a virtually constant, a virtually constantly connected world. Boy, try that four times. The notion of solitude seems absolutely elusive, right? Even somewhat daunting. It's, it's being alone is often thought of in some negative context. But I don't know about you, my friends, but for me. I kind of like my solitude. I don't find it lonely at all. Frankly, you know, we go back to the pandemic. I, I think I've said this many, many times throughout the, the years uh, that we've been broadcasting together with you all, that um, it, pandemic actually worked out real well for me. It kind of suited my my kind of jam to some degree. Didn't have to see a lot of people, didn't have to go out to obligated uh, events and so on. So there's something about that solitude that if you embrace it in a positive way, when you choose to spend time by themselves, according to my expert, my guest, who's going to be joining us in a minute. He says, solitude's not the same as loneliness. And when people choose to spend time by themselves, it can actually be beneficial. According to Robert Copeland, he's a professor of psychology at Carleton University in Ottawa, and he's my guest tonight. Robert, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So how, tell me before we get into like the you know specific questions and all the you know interview stuff, how about you? You you look for that solitude sometimes, or are you 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 kind of uh, is it you find it lonely? Like do you do you kind of practice what you preach? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, for me, solitude is a place where I get my best thinking done. It's a place where I can disconnect myself from the world, and you know, it's a place for restoration, for relaxation. Uh, and as you said during the introduction, it's when we choose to do things alone that really when solitude has its most power. And for me, what I like to do when I'm alone is I like to walk. So uh, every day I will take myself out for a walk. Uh, and that's when I, uh, I do my best thinking and when I do my best planning and when I give myself a chance to charge my battery for the day. Cool. By the way, I love the term charge your battery. I use it all the time. So thank you for making that real for me too. Um, so <laughs> before we like Robert, when you go for your walk, just, I don't want to you know dwell on it, but like walk like in, in the, in a forest somewhere or in a mall or down a busy street, like, does it matter if there's people around during your walk? Is that still a solo, a solitude experience for you? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you're getting at some of the questions that we, we have to ask ourselves when it comes to defining solitude. Like, solitude yeah. seems like it, it should be something that's relatively objective and, and easy to define. Uh, and the easiest definition maybe would be like the physical separation from others, right? So solitude is a place. Uh, and a lot of people define solitude as being physically separated from others. But solitude could also be sometimes a feeling, right? So you could be alone in a crowd is a common expression. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when I go for my walk and I'm in my own zone, I'm in my own you know, world, sometimes I'm listening to music, sometimes I'm yeah. just you know, walking quietly. If I happen yeah. to pass other people, you know, they're there, but they're not really there. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, it's a perception of, of being uh, in solitude. So you can perceive yourself to be alone, even, you know, in a crowded coffee shop. Some people love to just sit at a table and and read a book or, you know, do some work. But they like having the people around, but they don't like the pressure to have to interact with them. You know, for some people, solitude is walking by yourself in a, you know, in a street in a foreign country where you don't know anybody. And there's no chance you're going to run into someone that, you know. Um, and so it's that perceived separation from others that I think is even more important than that physical separation. I love it. Great answer. Um, so another, to, just to extend from there. So, so is it the, to touch on where you were coming from there a little bit, I think. So is it the, is, is the difference between, is, is the solitude connected to the, 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 um, that's what I'm, what I'm trying to get to it, connected to the, uh, fact that you don't want to have to engage, even though, like you said, people could be around you. You just don't want to engage with them. Is, is that what you mean by getting to that solitude place while still yeah. physically being amongst people? Yeah, so that's a that's kind of an old idea. So there's a you know a sociologist uh, whose name is Goffman who proposed this idea that like when we're with other people, we're under we're on stage, we're under the spotlight, right? And that's because we have to be aware of the audience, the people who are around us, and you know we're aware of their perceptions of us. We're aware that they might be you know evaluating us or judging us and a lot of people of course are very concerned about how they appear to others and and you know they feel like they're being evaluated all the time so solitude is being off stage right it's being out of the spotlight it's when you are freed from that perception that you need to behave in a certain way it's when you can you know release yourself from those kinds of of pressures of of having to worry about being evaluated it's when you can do things that you would like to do it's when you can feel the way you would like to feel it's when you can be authentic it's when you can be your true self and for some people that's the real sort of definition of solitude is being off stage and out of the spotlight uh and that is one of the reasons why solitude can be so restorative because there is an inherent tension and stress and and it can be draining when we're talking about charging your battery for a lot of people yeah. bringing in the presence of other people even if you're not feeling nervous or anxious yeah. it's just yeah. draining uh and yeah. you need to be off stage in order for a chance to uh to sort of you know feel restored from that I think you, but you just motivated. You just, you just spoke to my motivation for taking trips because I'll tell you when I'm in my town in Toronto and surrounding area, there's, you know, not that I'm such mm -hmm. a famous guy, but I've been around since before Fred Flintstone. So I know a lot of people, but, but when <laughs> sure. I go to, you know, when we, my wife and I go off to places, even like, you know, Montreal or Ottawa, where we don't have a, a, a presence, we don't know people. We're not going to run into guys and gals that I went to school with likely. It's, it's mm -hmm. just much easier, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the respites, I guess, that solitude can offer, you know, is the freedom from those kinds of expectations. Um, and I mean, I guess, you know, we should be I, I'm always a little hesitant to, you know, to 
to, you know, espouse solitude and talk about being alone and, and there are positive aspects of that. But of course, humans are social beings. We evolved to be in groups. We evolved to be around others. Being around other people makes us happy. Being around others, it boosts our mood. I mean, you know, there, there's all these important reasons why it's important to interact and important to be social. Um, and so I never want to give the perception that I'm suggesting that we don't need that. I guess, if anything, I'm saying we just need to consider both sides of those coins, you know, of that coin, right? And that what everybody needs is the right balance between time by themselves, me time, solitude time, plus time with others. Uh, and if you can strike that right balance, that's really the best recipe for your well-being, right? That's what's going to boost you the most. And I think a really important message for people is there's, there's not one right amount of time for everybody to be around others or for everybody to be alone. There's really, there's a just right moment. It's like Goldilocks, right? Like, uh-huh. you know, for some people, it could be too much. Some people could be too little. And everybody has to find their just Goldilocks amount. Their just right amount for them. That's going to be the perfect balance between time spent alone and time spent with others. And that's how you maximize, you know, the benefits of both for your well-being. But, uh, you know, so much attention is put and, you know, justifiably so on the importance of social interactions and relationships. And of course, these things are critically important. And I would never, you know, I would never diminish their importance. I would never say that loneliness is not a huge problem. And of course, loneliness is when we we are perceiving a lacking in those relationships, a lacking in our social interactions. And this can be incredibly harmful. Uh, There's a Surgeon General's report out of the U.S. that just came out that talked about loneliness being as you know, chronic loneliness and social isolation being as yeah. bad for our physical yeah. health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, right? So yeah. this is, you know, clearly a huge issue, and I would never want to minimize that. But I think at the same time, we also have to understand that solitude is also something that is important for us, and that we have to find that important balance between these two things, and that it should be okay just like it's okay yeah. to ask to, to spend some time with bit. others. It's okay yeah. to say, I would like to spend some time alone. Exactly. I'm here with Robert Copeland. He's a professor of psychology at Carleton University uh, and um, a smart guy. We're talking about solitude versus loneliness. Uh, Robert, let's continue our conversation. Thank you. Um, so when did you decide that it made sense to start researching uh, the subject, talking about yeah. this kind of stuff? Yeah, so I mean, in, you know, directly and indirectly, I've been researching aspects of solitude for close to 30 years now. I'm, I'm a developmental wow. psychologist by training and my earliest research was on shy and socially withdrawn kids and I spent a lot of time looking at shy and socially anxious kids you know playing by themselves or you know being nervous to interact with others at school and at you know day camps and in preschools and and nursery schools and and while I was spending all this time watching these kids who were shy I also found myself watching kids who were off by themselves and playing quietly and seemed quite content about it and quite happy to be off by themselves and playing. And that sort of opened up these ideas to me that, you know, uh, it's really important to look at the reasons why people are spending time alone. And of course, as you mentioned right off the top of the introduction of the last segment, it's all about choice, right? If we are choosing to spend time alone because it's engaging, because we are finding the activities that we're doing meaningful, because it's enjoyable for us, that's when we're going to reap the benefits. If we are retreating to solitude because we are, you know, uh, socially anxious or nervous or self-conscious or worried about interacting with others or social interactions makes us feel stressed. If we're using it as a way to avoid social circumstances, then we're much less likely to have positive experiences in solitude. 
So what that, what does that matrices look like? What does that sort of scale look like? When when you know like like every other uh, clinical expert, I'm sure uh, there's a way to measure you know whether it's you know like people using it as an excuse. Well, I'm just looking for my solitude time when really they're using it to avoid whatever you know triggers and such that being around people might cause. How do you kind of measure that? What matrix do you use? Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of different factors that go into some of the different reasons why I spend time alone. And I would say there's, you know, there's several different kind of categories that we might sort of, you know, uh, look at. You know, so the first one I described to you just before is these, you know, as people who generally enjoy and approach solitude as a, as a positive place. Uh, and then I mentioned, uh, you know, there are some individuals who they're not really approaching solitude. They're using it to avoid stressful social situations. And so these, uh, you know, these people might, you know, we might observe them to spend time alone or they might report spending time alone. But when you talk to them or measure aspects of their personality or aspects of their, uh, you know, the level of social anxiety or how much, you know, how many negative feelings they're having when they're alone, how much they're worrying, uh, how much they are ruminating when, when they are in solitude, it, it sort of, you know, it characterizes this much less, you know, pleasant, much more anxious provoking experience of solitude. Uh, and then, of course, there are some people who are spending time in solitude, uh, not at all kind of by choice, right? They might really want to be interacting with others, but yeah. due to specific circumstances, you know, they are ostracized or rejected or, or uh, you know, or global pandemic hits and we all go down into lockdown. Uh, you know, and it's when solitude is thrust upon us. It's when, it's when it's forced upon us, when it's unwanted solitude. That, of course, is the most likely time for us. Uh, to to experience loneliness and and depression and all of the serious you know you know you know damage to our well being threats to our mental health that come with this chronic social isolation. So let me ask you, since uh, uh, by the way you don't sound like you're old enough to have been at it that long, but uh, you know <laughs> voices can be deceiving. Um, so in the in the world of technology, right? Like throughout th- yes. throughout the ta- throughout the pandemic, you know I was connected. I'm sure you were connected uh, through the mm. through technology. Do we are we really still alone, even though we might not have left our house, but we might have four video calls with friends throughout the course of that day? Is that considered a lonely experience because you're not physically socializing or can we still be uh, connected to people and not physically be with them in the same room, so to speak? I mean, I know that you can, but does it work the same way? It's such a great question, and, and that's and that's a real issue because, of course, even the definition of solitude, we have to change what we mean by it because it is now possible and common to be physically separated from others, which used to be the go-to definition of solitude, but virtually engaging literally face-to-face, right, with, with people. Uh, and, you know, the perfect example during the pandemic, my son, you know, who was a teenager at the time, would be, you know, in his room with the door closed playing video games. And, you know, traditionally, the stereotype is the brooding teenager in the basement playing video games by himself. But this was not that experience for him at all. He had his headset on. Yeah. He was playing interactively. He was he was talking with his friends. They were screaming and yelling and whooping it up, and you could hear laughter. And, you know, of course, for, for a lot of uh, boys at that age, if there's going to be any kind of, of, you know, close or intimate discussion with their friends, it's going to happen, you know, incidentally to that context, right? So they'll right. be focused on a, on a game, and they'll be talking about, you know, some, you know, some aspect of the game, and then someone will mention something, oh, this happened at school today, or I was, you know, wondering about this, and th- that's how they have their conversations with, you know, within a backdrop of these kinds of activities, and so it provides an interesting context 
for intimacy, really, for right. uh, exactly. especially for, for for teenage boys. But it really it can be an issue because you know technology can also interfere with solitude. Right. If you are you know if you have a device in your pocket that constantly allows you to be connected to others, you're not off stage anymore. You're not out of the spotlight anymore. So that there's and there's some you know emerging evidence to suggest that technology can interfere with some of the benefits that solitude has to offer. So that's certainly an issue. Um, and you know you 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 mentioned that it's not the same thing to have a FaceTime conversation with someone than it is to be in someone's physical presence. Um, certainly during the pandemic, it was it was helpful and you know it was the best that we could do under a lot of circumstances to be able to reach out and connect with someone in any way that we could because we were so starved for it because. Of the circumstances um, and these you know technology can certainly complement our relationships and if you don't have a chance to be in the same place with someone you can see them and have a FaceTime conversation or you can text or you can talk but of course you know like I said earlier on humans evolved to be in the groups to be physically present with each other to experience touch to hug someone right exactly. to, to be yeah. to be able to you know, uh, you know, read someone's facial expressions, their body language, to be able to, you know, to to see them, to smell them, to feel them. That's you know, that's human contact is 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 a necessity, uh, and technology can certainly help, and it can be something that can complement and strengthen relationships. But it, it's certainly not a replacement for being in the physical presence of others. So you uh, you mentioned something, and I want to touch on it and see if we can, we've got a, a few minutes left here. Um, let's see if we can get some some strategies and skills into uh, to to our listeners. So I'm gonna I'm gonna task you with this. Um, when building a formula for yourself to find solitude, in other words, when you're taking that as as a mindset you're looking for, um, things like devices in your pocket and so on, like with meditation, certain kinds of lights, smells, colors, and so on. What do you recommend in in the next uh, couple of minutes here? What do you recommend how does somebody get their solitude on so to speak yeah that's that's an important question because a lot of people they have the idea that they they don't like solitude or that solitude is hard or solitude is boring or you know i'm a people person and i hate being alone and you know it we have to overcome some of these uh you know what i would call myths because uh solitude is like anything else it's a muscle you have to exercise and develop uh, and for some people, it comes easy, and they, you know, they enjoy the experience, and they're quite happy to spend time alone. But I think solitude is, is maybe most needed, even for the people who feel like they don't like it or they don't want it. Uh, and so my advice for people who feel like that is, is start small. There's, you know, sure it would be nice if everybody could take a two-hour walk in the forest every day, but that's not practical or even desirable for most people. Uh, and there's pretty good evidence to say that you can reap the benefits of solitude by spending as little as 15 minutes alone a day. Um, and there's also this idea that in order to, you know, have true solitude, you have to be meditating, you have to be in silence, you have to be, you know, alone in a forest. And certainly meditation is wonderful. And I would encourage everybody to, to engage in meditative practice, but it's not the only way to do solitude. And so I would encourage people to, you know, do, you know, do yourself, do find what solitude means to you. It might mean listening to music. It might mean reading a book. It might mean engaging in a craft or a, or a hobby, or it might mean going for a walk. Do what is going to allow you to feel engaged and motivated and enjoy in your solitary time. Don't make it a chore. Don't make it something that you have to do. Don't make it something that you don't enjoy, because that enjoyment, that engagement is going to help you to benefit from the context of solitude. And it's less important than people think what you are doing in that context. 
Robert Copeland, professor of psychology at Carleton University and a great guest. We'll have you back on for sure when we can come up with something that uh, we can drag you out in the middle of the night to talk about. Thanks so much for being <laughs> here with us. We're talking about uh, go find your solitude, brother. Um, loneliness versus solitude. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure, man. I do have something I want to share because my friend from British Columbia um, sent me a message and I'm not sure what their, what this person's name is, um, but uh, it might be Dave. I could be wrong, but uh, I wanted to just reach out and they mentioned something about losing all their friends and they've only got one friend left in life. And I got a father who's 97, thank God, just turned 97 and uh, looks like he could go another decade, no problem. Uh, if he doesn't trip and fall and do something silly, he had to make a whole bunch of new friends my listener buddy who's texted he had to make new friends and he started making new friends in his 80s so make new friends if you're losing the ones you've got time to get out there and volunteer somewhere where you can meet some folks that might be a decade or two younger than you and that's how you continue to have a long life and some good friends and you don't have to be at home secluded and all by yourself but that's not what we're talking about right now Right now we're talking about money laundering being a significant problem in Ontario, probably in other cities coming to BC as well. Uh, real estate transactions are an issue. So what this is about, and the part of the story here is also talking about what's going on in in, in, auto, in Ontario here. If, you have, if you've been learning anything about Ontario, uh, if you're uh, from other provinces, my friends from out west or so, and you're, you're not sure what's going on. So the Premier of Ontario and his, his crew has sort of got caught not caught but certainly called out on making some transactions with some protected greenlands uh and it appears that some of the wealthiest uh builders developers in the country seem to have lucked out on gathering up that land or having their the land removed from protection and back to the ability to uh, build homes you know the government says we need to build homes so they're allowing that to happen so they anyway they got caught the people have been fired some guys resigned they tried to drop it on an aide on a on a secretary of the ministry uh, then the minister finally resigned the, the minister of housing and then they found a piece of property some uh, a foreign chinese owner owns a couple of pieces so they put that back into the green belt going that's what the is called green belt go back into the green belt so that would make everybody quiet like come on i don't want to make this about politics because i never do because i don't i don't want to get into that it's not my thing but come on we're not stupid right it's so obvious it's so transparent that some poor guy who doesn't even live here through his lawyer and and and, and his uh, real estate uh, managers um uh, you know gets his his couple of lots turned back because he wanted to extend and and build four or five homes um or do something and expand his property. And, and, and the guys that are stand out to make billions, billions, I think the, the, the windfall is about $8 billion, uh, from this protected land amongst the, the major developers. Um, they, they, uh, they just go unfettered and everybody carries on. So I don't want to get into it. I, I'd like to hear from you in terms of your thoughts back to what we talked about uh, in, in the first uh, segment of the show. If you feel like calling in or texting in, uh, do you need a break from the hustle? I feel like sometimes we're getting hustled, not just taking a break from the hustle. But what I do want to talk about is there's a money laundering issue. As I started saying, money laundering issue. Um, and it seems to be that they're looking for the real estate industry to police it. And a really smart guy, smart group of people in um, in Vancouver, in British Columbia, uh, as it turns out, um, they uh, came up with a really cool plan. 
uh, and came up with some um, uh, some technology to detect the, the illicit dollars used in real estate. So the concern is that people are using their drug money, their their whatever kind of money they're getting to buy real estate. And that's, you know, somehow being laundered because you buy the, you know, you make a million bucks illegally, you buy a house for a million dollars, you sell it for a million dollars. Now that money is quote unquote clean money. So Frederick Klaus, he started a place called Illumini Intelligence about two years ago with his partner, Christopher Moreno and Jesse Latham. And the company opened a client center in Ontario here in July. And basically they're talking about ways to detect whether the transaction is financed through and by illicit means. Now, Real estate guys, real estate agents, my my brother being one of them, good friends of mine being others. I've got lots of friends that are very successful brokers and, and some struggling, not maybe so successful. Um, all say the same thing. <clears throat> if you're going to make it beholding on the on the um, on the real estate agent to do all the necessary work to figure out where the money's coming from from his potential buyer then you're now turning them basically into banking experts and they and that's not really their job so the ontario estate real estate association uh, ceo tim hudak also used to be a politician he says we believe it's a significant problem in the province of ontario hudak says we're right up there with bc and being targets for dirty money going into the canadian real estate market money laundering works against the public interest and contributes to increased affordability issues and so on he goes on to say so according to british columbia's cullen commission which released findings in June 2022 that focused on money laundering in BC. Billions and billions are also being laundered through real estate in Ontario. So now the way this normally works is these kinds of transactions are managed and and overseen by an organization called FinTrack. So FinTrack is Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada. If you bought a home, or sold a home, or I think only when you buy a home, I think it's only, you, they don't care what you do with the proceeds. They're only interested in now you buy the place. So um, you you sign some form of FinTrack document, as I recall the last time I bought any real estate was a long time ago, but there were FinTrack documents involved at the time, and I still believe that they are. So Klaus's, Klaus's system, him and his partners, their system, is it's, it's somewhat limited, creating difficulties to get Authority is a complete picture, but if they can take a more fulsome approach, he says, his company has built a compliance tool, including a database of information that can be used by or as a sober second thought. So the company uses various sources, including overseas legal records, U.S. securities and exchange information. So basically they gather, they have access to data that the average person can't see. Well, according to Toronto luxury real estate broker, his name is uh, Ian Sirota. He said asking people like himself to be responsible for weeding out money launderers just doesn't make sense. Sirota said agents don't have the tools to make a reliable assessment, including access to the information needed to file a report highlighting concerns about money laundering. Like, you know, if you think about it, if you watched any, you know, movies, TV shows like, you know, like um, I watch shows like Billions. Uh, shows like uh, ballers, you know, we see, you know, athletes, you know, making, you know, 40, 50, 60 million a year, 100 million. And, you know, they're buying homes and doing like there's there's huge money when people buy stuff. Right. You see it in those kinds of shows. But if someone shows up with, you know, a bag full of cash, I remember I was uh, at a car dealership a bunch of years ago and my friend who is the, the sales manager of the car dealership, uh, 
you know, he came into the office where I was working with a sales rep to, to make a deal on, I think, a vehicle for one of my kids or for my wife. And he says, can you believe it, dude? He says, there's a guy out there with $175,000 in a duffel bag, and he wants to buy a navigator with all, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay. He says, I can't take it. So, you know, when someone shows up with cash, they can't take it. But when someone buys a, a piece of property with money that comes to them in some legitimate means, bank transfer, wire, certified check, something that goes through the system, then why would you stand up and go, hmm, I wonder where that money comes from? Any sooner than you would if they come in and buy, you know, come into a, a jewelry store and, and, and spend, you know, oodles and oodles of cash on very expensive jewelry paid for in cash, right? No one questions whether you buy a diamond ring for $75,000 and pay for it in cash. I don't believe. And then, by the way, you can take that diamond ring, sell it around the corner, maybe for $70,000, lose $5,000. But guess what? You just did to your cash. <clears throat> Laundered it, right? Money in, money out. When you take dirty money in and it comes out clean, that's laundering. And millions of ways to do it. Why focus on real estate? I don't know. But I'll tell you, real estate in this country is a mess. So if they want to blame it on people who have cash from ill-gotten gains, okay, have at it. But it's not making my kids' place any cheaper to rent or any of my you know, people, young people I know that are interested in being married and buying a home doesn't make their lives any easier because we're cracking down on money launderers. Come on, folks. Let's spend our time cracking down on politicians that are moving real estate around all over the place and screwing up our market. That's a much better time as far as I'm concerned. But shout out to my buddies in uh, in uh, in BC that came up with the technology. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm sure over time, it's even going to get cooler. Illumini, uh, Illumini Intelligence. Pay attention to them. They're up and comers. One of the text messages before we get into the next message said that, um, you know, finding things like apartment buildings uh, seem to be an income tax uh, and money laundering opportunity, um, evasion, money, income tax evasion, money laundering opportunity. As a renter, he's witnessed it firsthand. So hopefully uh, he will call in. That's uh, my buddy, George. He'll give us a shout and uh, towards the end of the show here. And we can talk about it together. Going back to school, back to school, back to school. Everybody's back to school. I've had, I have a few teachers in my practice, in our, in our therapy practice, uh, that have had a lot of anxiety around going back to school uh, now, this year, uh, because of the violence. Yeah. Um, so they're talking about some Toronto area in the Toronto in particular. Some teachers are fear another year of, of, uh, of, of, of violence when students um, held up set, uh, capture, cell phones to capture a, a fight at a particular school. Teacher managed to pull the two kids apart. Um, his, you know, the, the teacher goes on to say that uh, had she not stopped them, his skull would have been cracked open. Uh, she works at the secondary school here in Toronto. The, the, she was, um, they withheld her name just to protect her. But last year, there was another brawl erupted in her classroom. At the same time, the teacher couldn't break it up. Caught in the middle of the flying fist, she took a low blow to the head, or took a blow to the head, excuse me, screaming at the top of my lungs. Teachers just aren't feeling safe. They're just not feeling safe. Kids are angry, and kids are, are, are acting out in, in ways that, um, we know perhaps we we're seeing a, a an increase in the kind of violence that's available in the schools, kid to kid, kid to teachers. 
Here's the question. Should teachers have to go to work if they don't feel safe? What are they doing about the anxiety? What, what, what are the, the, the teachers, unions, and school boards, what are they doing to help teachers feel better about going back to class? Never mind. How about the, the kids? In many schools across Canada, there's all kinds of issues that you can look at in, in, in various news reports over the years, over the past year, at least years prior, um, that look at stories about, you know, all kinds of violence in the schools, kid to kid and uh, kids to teachers. Um, in, in May, the Toronto District School Board revealed that 323 students had been involved in violent incidences on school premises. Um, and though a small fraction of the time school population, uh, they, the number uh, the school population has fallen significantly, apparently, now sits at about 235,000. Uh, the number was the highest in several years and on the track to the highest since the board started. Um, again, you know, what we're looking at here is, um, is, is trying to understand what the, the violent culture is uh, going on in school and, and how teachers can protect themselves. We have George. Uh, he's calling from Alberta. Um, George, how are you? I am 90%. Okay. You know what? That's better than most. How do you feel yeah, about I don't like to, that? I don't like to brag, and I don't want any more than that. That's enough for me. <laughs> okay. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, good for yeah. you. So how do you, how do you feel? How do you feel about what was school like when you were a kid? Did you, were, were a lot of fights, a lot of, a lot of stuff going, a lot of kids, you know, punching each other out and throwing punches and chairs and stuff. There was teachers? a lot of bullying, a lot of bullying when I went to school, but that's and not did, my reason for calling. Yeah. Your reason for uh, calling was to talk to me about apartment buildings and, uh, yes. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. My landlord, he was a great guy. And I was talking to him one day, and he says, I'm going to set up a new company. He says, I'm going to sell my business. I own five apartment buildings, and I'm selling this new company. And he was good. We used to sit down and have tea together. And he said, I'm selling it. I'm going to sell it at a loss so I can claim it on my taxes. Well, there you go. First hand on how to hide your money. But uh, I really appreciate you checking in with me and letting me know that. And thanks for calling, buddy, and being a listener. And see, a part the thing of, yep. is, there's a lot of landlords doing that. Yeah, they're, I know. We're going to set be, up a separate but they're gonna, company they're gonna be crack- with different board of directors and all the stuff that goes with it. All keep it legal, but they sell it at a loss so that they can claim the whole loss as, as an income tax evasion. And it, it's See, just the, tax the, evasion seems, is what it is. Yeah, it seems that the rich, it seems that the rich get richer. Thanks for the call, buddy. I really appreciate it. I'm going to try to get back to my story here, though. Um, so I want to talk about teachers. I want to talk about teachers. I want to talk about violence in schools. Um, I, and I think, you know, we need to understand that it's not what it used to be. You know, uh, George was just saying, the caller from Alberta was just saying, you know, there was a lot of bullying going on in school. Not talking so much about bullying here. I'm talking about out-and-out brawls. Talking about kids bringing knives and weapons to school. I'm talking about teachers being stuck in the middle of, you know, aggressive, strong, viral young students, right? Being stuck in the middle of of a fight and having to, you know, decide whether to get in the middle of it to protect the students and maybe put their own lives and safety at risk, or whether to stand back and let the system, quote unquote, take care of it as they should. In other words, if there's violence going on in school, that the teachers, you know, should be calling police and saying, I've got a violent situation going on in the classroom or whatever, or getting it to the, the principal makes the call. You know, there was a time not so long ago where there used to be friendly police officers in the schools. And for some reason, I know the reason, for some reason now, that's not allowed. 
parents don't like it. Students don't like it. Apparently the teachers are going along with it. Well, as soon as you remove some of the safety factors, we just become less safe. Like it's just, it's, it makes sense, right? But if in fact you've got a teacher, a, 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 a cop on premise, people are less likely to act out in ways that are going to create the kind of violence that we're talking about here. And I'm talking about shootings in parking lots. You know, we're talking about, you know, stabbings at the back of the school. I'm talking about kids getting, you know, four or five kids on another kid, you know, beating them half to death in, in the, in the, uh, in the school washroom. Like, how do you get up and go to work every day? Listen, I've been a street worker my whole life. I've been on the street working my whole adult life as, you know, since my early twenties. And I've been in some pretty dark and, and difficult places to go and try to save a life, find, find a kid who's in a bad spot and get them out of there and back to their families if I can. And there are times where I just didn't feel safe. I eventually hired a couple of guys, a, a couple of two very large men that used to travel with me. And um, that was a deterrent for anybody to kind of, you know, create any violence around me. But you got to really be thinking, you got to have your head on a swivel these days to just be, you know, to, to be in a classroom doing your job. And, you know, let alone the violence that the kids are concerned about, let alone the violence that the, the kids are reeling from being concerned about going, you know, going, uh, uh, going, you know, to the washroom alone. You know, kids are now going, students are now going to, to washrooms two at a time to make sure that, you know, there's, there's no, uh, nothing violent going on, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, especially kids that may be, uh, you know, somewhat uh, uh, outside the norm, perhaps, you know, kids that have uh, issues, uh, not issues, but kids that identify different in, in different uh, ways in terms of gender and so on, kids of color, kids from different countries, uh, you know, all kinds of reasons they're being targeted. Either way, it's still an act of violence. So what are we going to do? What we need to do is we need to do a better job as parents and making sure that we're educating our kids to not bring their anger and violence into the classroom. And we need to do a better job in the school system to give kids a proper outlet. Like, I don't know. I, I know that there's issues, I think, around uh, a little bit around the, the, the uh, insurance related uh, stuff. But, you know, a punching bag, a heavy bag, you know, somewhere in the gym where if a kid's in a bad space, they can take him into the gym, put on a pair of gloves and say, okay, punch that, kick that, right? Can't just ask him to suck it up because that's not what happens. So let's pay attention to what's going on out there. Make sure we're educating our kids. And if you're a teacher, feel free to speak up. If you don't feel safe, talk to your union rep and so on and make sure you get in place whatever you can get in place that's available to you to feel better. And um, otherwise, I'd be walking away and uh, calling the authorities and not trying to play police officer or referee. Northwest Territories evacuee reflects on having baby while waiting to return home. That's the article. That's what we're talking about. Her name is Tanisha Edison, and she is going to be my guest here in just a minute. But according to her... Uh, her and her partner had to welcome the newest addition to their family more than a thousand kilometers away from home. Uh, she is a resident of Hay River, Northwest Territories, had a healthy baby girl on August the 23rd at Edmonton's Royal Alexandra Hospital, a little more than a week after they were forced to leave home due to a wildfire. And she's here with me tonight. And I want to ask her so many questions. Tanisha, thanks for being here, man. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing yeah. good. Considering Are you getting any, getting any sleep? 
You getting any oh, sleep? Oh, well, barely now that I got a new baby. <laughs> I was talking to my I was talking to my producer about getting you on the air. He says, "Well, you know, it could be a little, it could be a little late." I said, Are "You kidding?" I said, "The girl's not sleeping more than two hours here and there." So I figured we'd, we'd keep you busy anyway. Um, first exactly. of all, congrats, <laughs> congratulations on the, on having a, a healthy baby, and um, and you you I guess are well, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing great. Yeah. Okay, terrific. So I know that going into the concept of having a baby, the whole, I've had three children and I've been around for two grandchildren and the whole concept is the readiness and the, the running frantically to get in the car and driving halfway down the street on the sidewalk to, to, through all the panic creates all kinds of anxiety and, and stuff normally, just like the normal thing. How did you manage to keep yourself together with a baby brewing and having to pick up and leave during what is and will be known as a very difficult time for people in the Northwest Territories. Well, uh, one of the things that uh, kept my head on there is I have two other children. So just trying to focus on uh, making sure they have everything they need and getting ready for the baby and just stuff like that kept me in the same mind and not too panicky because I had to think about them. The, my saving grace was that family. In Edmonton, so uh, they right. were able to help a little bit with my other children. Amazing. So, hang on. So, you, your husband, baby in the baby in the oven, so to speak, and two little ones on your arms. Holy smokes, yeah. man! <laughs> so, so was it? Was were you guys like calm, cool, and collected in the process, or was he yelling at you and you yelling at him? And what did that feel like? Or am I just playing through how my life works? <laughs> oh no, that's uh, that's kind of how it was. Well, <clears throat> we were sleeping there and. Uh, all of a sudden, everything started happening in the middle of the night. So I pan or I was panicking, getting him awake, and making sure that my aunt could watch uh, my other two children, and then rushing to the hospital. And it's not easy there in Edmonton traffic. Yeah, no kidding. And of course, you had to then work with a doctor that you had no experience with. I mean, I, I assume that you had you had things all ready and laid out, right, from the, the original plan. I did. I had everything planned out originally, and then, uh, well, none of that really ended up working out there. Like you said, a thousand miles or kilometers from home there. How was the drive? It was long. It was long because uh, we tried to leave the territory twice, but uh, we weren't able to because uh, the flames were, there was flames all over the highway and flames all around us, so we had to pull back and wait till the weather cooled down and the, and the, Highway got a little clear. So is that the baby I hear in the background? Yeah, that's the baby. A uh, little girl, right? Yes. And what's her name? Her name's uh, Nova. Nova. Oh, she sounds yes. like she's ready to come on the air with me. So maybe in a in a, in a few years we'll get her back on here to talk to us. About, oh yeah, uh, maybe maybe she'll yeah. be able to share her own experience there. So what what do you what do you think was the the I mean you mentioned that your kids the other kids were a reason for you to stay focused and um and and did you find did you find that the panic was so kind of everyone's panicking around you that you kind of sort of the adrenaline you get caught up in the moment that you don't really think about how how uh, kind of difficult what's coming is? I mean, were you kind of caught up in the whole evacuee mindset? Yeah, mostly. I was uh, yeah caught up in the evacuee mindset. And to be honest, after, like I said, pretty much escaping flames there, uh, yeah. the panic of the baby coming wasn't, wasn't nearly as scary as uh, trying to get out of the territory. 
Yeah, interesting, right? So that I, I, that's a good point. So as you were evacuating, you know, I, I assume then you were there was you were being, you know, you could see the fire was close enough to you that um, you realized why you were leaving. Yeah, and uh, we knew that since we had a new baby on the way, and with fires around Yellowknife and everybody getting evacuated from Hay River there, that uh, there'd be no hospital and no way to deliver her. So we had to get out of the territory. So tell me about the experience when you got to the hospital in Edmonton that you, I guess, knew, didn't know anybody. I mean, you had family there, but a whole new medical team, whole new doctor. Um, did they work hard on helping you get some early trust? Uh, yeah, to be honest, it uh, turned out to be a blessing in disguise because they do have some of the best women's hospitals in uh, in Edmonton here and all of Canada. So uh, yeah. it did turn out to be uh, pretty good to have a good medical team and even having like specialists and everybody that could deal with almost any issue. So it did turn out to be a blessing in disguise having the baby at an Edmonton hospital. So did you think of a special name for her? Because um, give me an idea where the name, did the name have anything to do with the evacuation experience or was this a name you had kind of ready to go when she popped? It was, it was one of the names I had ready, but there were some names that we uh, had that we were looking at that involved fire because, uh, you know, pretty much yeah. born from the flames here. <laughs> so you're back, you, you're back home now? Uh, no, no. Uh, on Monday there, uh, they said they'll release a, uh, a re-entry plan. So we won't know anything until Monday. So you've been staying with family? I, I was. Now I'm in a hotel. Cool. And uh, how's your husband been throughout all of this, your partner? Uh, he's been really great. I don't know... Uh, I'd be able to just be able to do without him. He's uh, been really strong and helping with the, all the children, and he's been a really great supporter. How old he's are the other been two? Keeping me mellow. Um, well, my, <laughs> How old are the, well, my the other, other two? My other two uh, are uh, nine and seven. So, so what? They're it, a little what, older. What, so what do they think about the whole experience of having to evacuate and, and go to another place in a hurry and the fire? Like, we're, how, how are your kids holding up to that? And any nightmares or sleep issues or anything like that? Uh, no, no. Um, they, they're actually doing really well. They, they, they're more excited about the hotel. They don't really understand <laughs> what, we had to, what we went through. So. Let's get back to our guest. She's amazing. Tanisha Edison. She just had a baby while leaving. She left Northwest Territories, went to Edmonton, popped out, had a baby. Everyone's doing great with two other kids in our, in, in tow. Husband driving, I'm sure. And Tanisha, welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me back. My, my pleasure. Amazing how much energy an old guy like I have I have at such a late hour of the night. So the the, the what, let's get back to your to your little ones again for a sec. So they're they're in a hotel, they're feeling really good about it all. Everybody's kinda happy about being around the, the whole hotel situation. Um, now that you look back, do you sort of ask yourself, how the hell did I do this? Oh, definitely. I uh <laughs> I wonder that all the time. <laughs> No, I don't mean how you ended up pregnant. I mean how you ended up getting through the evacuation. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, even that. I'm uh, pretty surprised that we uh, we did it there. So, are, are you normally are you the kind of are you the kind of person that normally handles like stress and pressure? I mean, listen, you got a, you got a house now with three kids, so the answer's got to be yes. But um, typically, are you just you kind of the person the kind of person that normally keeps her cool, or maybe not so much? 
I'd say yeah, definitely. I'm the I'm the mellow one of the family. <laughs> what did your family think? What did, what did, I, I, I'm hoping you still have mom and dad in your life. And if so, what did what did what did mom think about you traveling pregnant with two kids and rushing out in the middle of a of a of a serious serious uh, uh, fire? Well, my mom was happy that I uh, that I just got out safe and uh, that we were all able to get out safe. She was really worried that we were going to be stuck in the territory. So amazing. And uh, what does your husband think about it all? Your partner? Uh, well, he's a uh, he's been overjoyed about having a, having the baby. So uh, that's mostly what's been on his mind is being around the baby and and just being there for the baby. That's. That's his are main you, are, are main you, goal are, right now. <laughs> are you managing to get now? So you guys have all been away from working stuff too, right? Like you'll be. I, I assume everybody in 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 your area um, has had to leave Hay River, and uh, I guess there's no one working doing anything except trying to save the save the town. But um, in terms of how the two of you are keeping yourselves busy in a hotel room with three kids, one being an infant, um, how are you managing? Like with you know food and diapers and getting your head, you know, one of you taking, I hope you're taking turns getting out the door and getting some air. Like how are you making that work? Oh yeah. Well, we are definitely, he's, uh, we're taking turns getting out. Um, but, uh, the food and everything that's, uh, the, the expo center and, uh, St. Albert and the red cross, they have been really helpful. And then we've also been keeping ourselves busy because in Hay River, it's a smaller community. Yeah. So there's not too much to do other than nature stuff and, uh, hiking so uh, we've been enjoying a lot of the free activities like the zoo and then the nice. science museum and um doing enjoying some city, getting out. doing some city living yes and we're getting a little bit of city living that's good so you know there's a there's a thing that i tell people that i coach or, or patients of mine in my in my therapy practice you know the the concept of finding darkness or finding sunshine in a dark place you know uh, finding that sunshine amongst the amongst a bunch of thunderclouds um you know clearly that's what you've managed to do uh the joy of having a baby the joy of of you know being together as a family uh it's 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 wonderful and i'm so happy for for you all and and i it just sounds to me like a great story to tell for many 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 years to come you know when you're when 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 your daughter's off getting married you'll be able to say i remember when you were born we were traveling from blah 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 to here and here and blah 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 tell great stories but monday yeah. you're going back monday you're going back reality is going to hit god willing monday you're going to go back you're going back to your home now are are you confident that like do you know for a fact that you're going back to a home that's intact and thankfully wasn't damaged or are you coming back to a bit of a, a damaged neighborhood well uh my neighborhood we're very lucky the fire is really close to our neighborhood but we're so far um going to be going back to an intact home but uh we yeah. we're, we won't be heading back monday we're only figuring out when we'll be able to head back monday so i'm hearing things that it could be as long as the the 22nd or even later. So and you're uh, telling and you're telling me that there's things that people are like people are providing you with food and and experiences and helping out with diapers and things like that. Or are you? Is this cost? Is this a big expense for you? Or are you finding that you're getting a ton of support and things donated? I am uh, getting a ton of support from uh, the Expo Center and the Red Cross. I was uh, donated a few things, and also uh, my mother. She actually uh, helped us get out. Because we had no money, it was a right. kind of a short notice. Like yep. we were on the beach, <clears throat> and yep. then 
half hour later, we're getting an evacuation order. Okay. So uh, it was my mom. I had to actually get money from my mom to leave the territory. So uh, right. at first, it was a little bit of a financial burden, but um, it's slowly after uh, getting registered and uh, finding the services, it was much, much easier. And in term in terms of uh, friends and, and friends and buddies uh, from Hay River, are they where you are? Are they? Did you all kind of did you kind of organize a, a small group of evacuees to kind of end up in the same place? Do you have neighbors near you or friends that you know from back home? Uh, no, no, we're um, because I was staying with family. I'm put it put up in right. a different hotel than most of the people, right. but uh, most of the people that I do know and uh, our friends, they were actually. Uh, flown out because they uh, I guess maybe they didn't see the the panic that everybody else seen or they didn't see the danger of it so they right. flew out they didn't uh, make it across the highway so they most of them ended up in Fort McMurray what was your biggest fear when you were leaving Hay River to head your way to Edmonton at the back uh, of your mind in, in amongst it all what were you were you concerned about dropping this kid on the highway uh, uh, I, I wasn't <laughs> I felt like that she was gonna wait a little bit um, no, my main concern was actually getting out because it was quite a quite something to see uh, watching the watching the flames. So that was my biggest concern was even if we're going to get out because if if we were stuck there, then how where would I have the baby? Because there'd be no hospital. So um, that was my main concern was getting me and my family out and my kids and my partner. What do you tell people uh, before we let you go here? What do you tell people or, or what could you tell my listeners uh, across the country? Um, what advice can you give somebody when they're faced with this kind of a situation in terms of how to keep their cool and so on? What what pieces of advice could you offer? Um, we'll just keep a positive mindset and have something to uh, keep you distracted with. Like, I, like for me, I had my two children. And uh, also, if you're in... A situation or in an area that's prone to, I guess, disasters because this is their third evacuation. Make yeah. sure you have lots of gas. You don't want to be in <laughs> line lineups and lineups of gas. You don't want to be stuck in one of those. Tanisha Edison, new mother and awesome, a new new mother to no, mother to a new baby and mother uh, to two uh, other children. So three on three under her under her care and that of her partners. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us tonight, Tanisha. We wish you nothing but success with you and your and your kids. And you're really an inspiration and a lovely person to talk to. And I can just tell that you must be a heck of a mom. And I just can't thank you enough for taking out your time and being here with us tonight. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show here.